Welcome to The Complete Angler, your source of information on the outdoor industry in central Canada. With over 35 years in the field, host Don Lamont covers topics and issues with industry leaders and influencers to bring you up to speed on what's happening in the outdoor world. And now, here's your host, Don Lamont. On today's Complete Angler podcast, we talk to an aquatic biologist that is also a hardcore angler, a dynamite combination. When time allows, you'll find him fishing with his family on the many lakes in the eastern region of Manitoba. He is a valued contributor to Hook Magazine, and his articles on fish growth and population density have opened a few eyes in this part of the world. Craig McDougall is also president of Angler's Edge Mapping. Hey, Craig, welcome to the Complete Angler Podcast. Great to have you on the show. Thanks, Don. Great to be here. Let's talk a little bit about your background. Now, I know you're a hardcore angler, which um, really helps in the articles that you write for Hook Magazine. Um, if you go on, if you go online, or you uh, you are a subscriber to the magazine, we get you in there probably two or three times a year on on various articles. And I understand that you're a senior aquatic biologist. Is that correct? That's correct. That's my official title. Um, you know, aquatic biology has sort of a, a wide range of, of disciplines. And I guess you could say I'm more focused on the fish part of it. Um, but yeah, but technically I'm an aquatic biologist. Okay. What attracted you to uh, learning about uh, aquatic behavior, especially with fish? Well, it's driven by my passion for fishing, for sure. Um, I grew up, you know, at a young age, uh, fishing all over the place, different lakes, different rivers in Nopaming and the White Shell and Lake of the Woods, Winnipeg River. Um, and I think like, even in my high school yearbook, it says like, my aspiration was to be a fisheries biologist. So I've known about, you know, that passion or recognized that passion for a long time. And yeah, I went to university to basically pursue it and it panned out. And yeah, now I'm working for uh, an organization called North South Consultants. And we do aquatic work and environmental work for all sorts of different clients across Canada and even in the United States. And yeah, I've, I've got a lot of experience really quick working with, uh, with North South. How long have you been working with them, Craig? I started there in 2006 and I did take, I, I went back to school in 2009 for a couple of years to pursue a master's um, of, of biological sciences. Um, but then as soon as I was done that, I went back to North South and, and I've been there ever since. One of the most popular articles we've ever had in the magazine and also on the website is the three-part series you did on fish growth and and especially the comments you made as far as population density and how it affects fish growth maybe talk a little bit about the example you had with crowduck lake well that's interesting to hear it was so popular that's kind of cool um yeah so crowduck lake was quite the experiment um, in the sense that walleye were stocked heavily in that lake. Uh, 
uh, during the late 80s. And then catch and release angling uh, regulations were implemented. So those fish that, that were stocked in really high densities, well, not really that high densities, but a lot of them survived. So there ended up being a lot of very young fish um, at the onset and they grew really fast. And before long, you know, you had these, these very large walleye, lots of master angler fish being caught. But then what happened because, you know, the fish weren't being harvested, uh, the stock was really um, large and there just wasn't enough food to go around eventually. And, and then, then once those really, those first wave of really large fish started to die off and um, the, the fish that were coming up next, there were so many of them and not enough food left in the lake that, you know, the growth rates sort of fell off. And now, um, or at least over the recent past, we just haven't seen the same level of, of you know, top end size in Crow Duck Lake. So it's a pretty interesting phenomenon. And one that, you know, you don't really, you don't really think about that often when you're an angler and you, and you don't have that same sort of, you know, historical perspective with the data. But uh, with, with Travel Manitoba's Master Angler Archive, you know, you have, uh, you know, the ability to look at these things in, in sort of a unique way. And uh, yeah, it's been pretty revealing. But yeah, Crowduck Lake is a really fascinating case study for me because uh, I've been involved with that lake right from the beginning. I remember taking in um, uh, Mitch George from the Crash Test Dummies and doing a show back in 19, I think it was 93, just kind of at the end of the, the, before the crash happened with a number of master anglers fish. And, you know, we dropped the underwater camera down there and we saw all these big walleyes swimming around on, on the main reef in the lake. And we ended up catching uh, three or four master anglers that day for the show. So it, that was kind of the peak. But then, you know, as we went in over the years, you could see that we, we've never marked any bait fish and you would catch undersized walleyes anywhere in the lake because they were desperate to find food. So right. yeah, yeah, you could really see the the whole evolution of what happened to that lake. Yeah, it's it's super neat. I, I only had the opportunity to fish it uh, after the crash, like after the big fish crash. It's, it's always been a good numbers lake ever since, you know, even after the big fish sort of faded away from dominance, uh, it's been an amazing numbers lake. Um, so I was there in 2002 and, and I remember seeing the same thing, like those fish were chasing jigs that had no bait on them, um, which I had never seen before. Um, you know, I have seen since further up north where those, where, you know, food supplies tend to be a little bit limited and populations are higher in general. Um, but at that time I'd never seen that. And, and, you know, some of these fish that we caught were so skinny, you could feel their ribs. And, you know, they could barely swim in the water. We were catching them in five feet of water up, up near where Crowduck flows out into the Winnipeg River. Um, you know, seeing these walleye in crystal clear, you know, five feet depths, and they could barely move. They could, they could barely, you know, come and bite the jig because they were so malnourished. It was, it was absolutely crazy for me to see that. 
We must mention that uh, in 2015, I believe they did, uh, or recently, they allowed you to keep two. Uh, they allow you to keep two fish now in Crowduck. Is that correct? Yeah, that's my understanding. I haven't been back since, but yeah, that's definitely in the regulations now, and uh, definitely a, a, it, it'll be neat to see how it pans out in terms of you know the production of of bigger fish over time and. Um, it's it's kind of like a wait and see thing you maybe maybe the lake can even handle a little bit more harvest who knows yeah probably uh, you know it was interesting because it was a case study i remember talking to joe o'connor who was the head of fisheries department at the time and there was a lot of pressure on joe to uh, to implement a um a policy where they're going to allow the anglers in there to keep a couple of fish but he said no let's i want to see what happens well that's what happened and <laughs> And so now they finally adjusted. Now, further to that, you had a great, your third part of your article uh, talked about smallmouth bass. And, and Crodock, because of the, uh, you know, introduction of smallmouth bass, they've done really well in that lake. And you do have some trophy-sized smallmouth bass in Crodock Lake. But that's not always the case. I think that that you mentioned that um, when you get overpopulation density of all catch and releases smallmouth bass, it actually works against the fishery. Yeah, like if assuming that you know you want to catch big bass, which I think is a fair generalization, um, at least in Manitoba. Um, maybe I'm a little bit biased because that's what I want to catch. I want to catch big bass when I go out fishing. I don't really want to catch those smaller, you know, 12 to 14 inches, but the Crowduck Lake, you know, phenomenon has manifested itself for smallmouth bass in, in many of the small lakes in Manitoba. The ones that were stocked earliest, uh, Tooth Lake, for example, Horseshoe Lake, there's a whole bunch of, of others in opening too that, you know, that we don't really have the same data sets for, um, but you know it's pretty clear that anecdotally those fish are not uh, as big. You know the top end size isn't as big there as it was you know in the 90s or the early 2000s, depending on you know the timeline of stocking. So I guess. Um, there's a lot of parity there between the Crowduck Lake situation. Um, the difference being walleye versus bass in sort of in general terms is that, you know, Manitobans like to eat walleye and they don't really, uh, they don't really seem to eat the smallmouth bass um, as much. Um, so even though they've, you know, released, you know, the, the populations theoretically um, by allowing harvest, People aren't really harvesting them so you know a lot of these populations like like tooth and, and shoe lake and you know they're just they're full of stunted bass right now um and you know whether that's valuable to anglers as a whole i guess is is up for debate well i think it, and you and you stated in your article it's you have to change the mindset it's not a bad thing to keep bass they're a good eating fish like you of course you want to uh, release the trophy fish but those those smaller bass in the midsize what what size range would you say would be the best eating bass well i eat them between about 12 and and 14 inches and part of that like part of that's just you know that's where the numbers of them are um i wouldn't really advocate 
eating anything above 15 inches. Um, in general, I think you, you know, general sort of fisheries logic these days is you protect your spawners, um, but you also protect your sort of important fish in the context of, of what anglers want to catch because um, they survive catch and release very well. Most species do. So, you know, you let a 15 inch fish go and it, you know, maybe if it has the growth potential, it will eventually become an 18 fish, uh, 18 inch fish. Sorry. Yeah. Funny story. I didn't really get to fish very much when I was a kid. And, um, I remember when I was a little bit older and I, uh, I went with my girlfriend to a cab, a friend's cabin on star Lake. And, uh, we ended up they had a fishing rod there. So I started casting off the dock and lo and behold, I started catching smallmouth bass. And, uh, we kept a couple in that, uh, 12 to 14 inch range to eat and we baked them and they turned out to be absolutely delicious. So yes, smallmouth bass are a good eating fish. And I think it's time that maybe the percep perception perception that we should all release all smallmouth bass is wrong. Yeah. I, I agree. And again, this is not, this definitely doesn't come from an anti-bass sentiment. I've, I've sort of taken a little bit of flack um, from, from different groups over the years because, because of saying these things, but that isn't the intent. Like I, I want a very balanced uh, sort of fishery in Manitoba and, and I love catching bass. I just don't like catching small bass. Um, yeah, and in terms of you know the perception of, of that they're not an eating fish, that's a very local thing. Like I I work with people from you know a diverse uh, sort of range of geographical locations, and I remember when I was doing my master's, um, one girl from from southern Ontario came up, and we had we were out fishing, and we were catching walleye, and and. Uh, mainly walleye but we did catch a couple smallmouth bass and at that time you know i didn't really see things the same way i didn't have the same experience base and you know for me at that point bass were a sport fish and and she was shocked when i wanted to let you know let this 15 14 inch i can't even remember we caught a few of them but she wanted uh, i wanted to let them go and she wanted to keep them and i guess you know, in Southern Ontario, like it's just common. That's what they eat. They, they, they have lots of smallmouth bass, not so many walleye and, and that's what they eat and they're good. Um, I've had them smoked. I've had them fried. Um, I've done taste tests with family members and stuff. And if you prepare them, you know, in a similar way to walleye, the texture might be a little bit different, but they're not going to be able to tell like most people are not going to be able to tell the difference i agree i remember um uh, you got to be a little careful cleaning smallmouth back because uh, you, they don't have a flat backbone so you when you lay your knife down like you would clean a, a walleye flat against the the backbone and you just try and make that that cut back to the tail the, the actual the backbone on the bass have a little bit of a little bit of an up and down so when you clean a bass, my recommendation is to do it like a lot of guys clean a walleye. You, you make the cut in front of the gill and then you, and then you work your knife uh, over top from the back down over top the rib cage and it, that prevents that problem. Have you had that problem? No, but I think you might be describing how I fill it a, like a bass and a walleye normally. Yeah. 
yeah so you you haven't had that issue yeah so just just so you understand that it's a little bit tricky sometimes to clean a bass i'll tell you why because i have a, a crooked finger from cleaning the smallmouth when i bounced it off the the, uh, the backbone and, and it cut a ligament in my finger so oh geez yeah so that was a that was a painful lesson so i learned the, i learned the hard way about how to clean a smallmouth bass and i also love to bake them whole and uh, you know fill them full of onions and oranges and man they're they're fantastic that way as well right yeah Yeah. we used to do uh again this was prior to me really thinking about the bass the same way but we'd be fishing for moon eye on the winnipeg river and you know just using a small little snell hook and a worm and and bass would hit that and sometimes you know just the nature of of bait fishing with that type of presentation they would take it deep so we would we would keep those bass uh we're not going to waste fish um and then we would smoke them and yeah they're quite good you know further that i was watching al linder do his show um he went back to where his childhood was and he went on to his favorite bass lake there and he made the comment craig that you know what there's a lot of big bass in this lake now and he said you know why because they encourage keeping the smaller bass and all the bass over 16 inches have to be released. So what you've done is you've built a trophy bass fishery, smallmouth fishery, and by smart management. So I think we're learning as we go along here. And, and the more data you have on fish populations and how to manage them properly, better off we're all going to be. Agreed? Yeah, for sure. It's uh, We've come a long way, definitely. I think uh, fisheries management in Manitoba has come a long way in the last 10 years, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, we just now got to sort of change the public perception uh, about, you know, what is a what is a good fish to harvest and a good fish to eat. Um, and smaller smallmouth bass are, are one of those one of those fish. Uh, before we get on the tech savvy, uh, uh, Craig McDougal, I want to talk about crappies because that's been that's been such a popular fish uh it's come on like gangbusters i'd say it's probably the second most popular fish in manitoba would you would you agree yeah it's 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 risen really rapidly in popularity um i've been i've been fishing them you know pretty pretty secretively since about 2005 um in a lot of lakes um and it's changed dramatically like there's so much more pressure for crappies now um which in a sense kind of kind of sucks um for for the anglers that you know that sort of you know had a you know the secret spots and whatnot um for quite a while but that being said these crappie populations have proven very very resilient and very um prolific they're spreading, you know, down the White Shell River system. Essentially, they've spread the whole way, um, and you know, they're, despite you know a lot of anglers fishing for them, there's still pretty good numbers uh, of fish in a lot of the lakes. There's there's big fish. I will say that the the methods that you need to use to catch these big fish have changed. I think that I don't know if it's you know individuals getting smarter because they've seen hooks or, you know, exactly how that all shakes down. But, but, 
you know, based on fisheries surveys and, and data that have come out of, you know, University of Manitoba, uh, master's student projects and that sort of thing, there's big fish, big crappie in, you know, say Caddy Lake, um, despite that anglers aren't doing very well catching them anymore. Um, they're still there. Uh, so that bodes well for sort of the, the future of the fishery because it's not like, you know, there's not, it's not like the stock has vanished and, and there won't be any potential to, you know, repopulate with, with new year classes. They're still there. I got to tell you a funny story about the early days of crappie fishing on Caddy Lake. My, um, my wife had taken my son over to Iceland because she's Icelandic. So they went for a visit. And so I had looking after my daughter. She was about uh, 12 years old at the time. So I asked her, did you want to come fishing with dad? And we're going to go to Caddy Lake. So we headed out to Caddy Lake and we, we hooked up with Trevor Smith, who was the head of the hatchery at the time over there. And so we drifted around Caddy Lake and my daughter ended up catching a 15 inch crappie and uh, in the middle of nowhere, but uh, she was really excited. And so I took a picture and so on and so forth. And I submitted it for a master angler. Well, guess what? They wouldn't take it because it was a picture length fish. And so she never got her master angler award and she's never forgiven me to this day. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I've, uh, Craig, I've been in love with crappies in Manitoba for a long time. Yeah, they're, they're an amazing fish. A lot of fun. Well, let's, let's get on to the tech uh, savvy, uh, uh, Craig McDougall, because you write articles about electronics, uh, um, uh, what you call pimping your ride on your snowmobile. Uh, that, that was a great story. People uh, should find that. And I understand you're, uh, well, I should know, because I'm the editor of Hook Magazine, you're doing an article on electronics coming up, right? What are you going to talk about in that article? I'm, I'm interested. Uh, yeah, so I, I do, I spend a lot of time using sonar i'm i honestly think it's a crutch for me personally sometimes <laughs> I, if you put me on a lake without a sonar i wouldn't do very well but if you you know give me a, a, a nice modern sonar um i will i will tend to do pretty well fishing wise um so yeah this article is it's just it's it's kind of to pr help anglers prioritize what uh technology in terms of you know side scan versus 2d and chirp versus down scan versus the new forward looking stuff um what what is sort of the best fit for their style of fishing because you know they all have value there's no doubt you know they all have value but depending on how you fish some of them have more value than others so you know, none of them are cheap either too. So it, this article is kind of just, you know, to give you some real world perspective on, on how they work and where they work best. Well, that's great. I'm looking forward to it. Let's talk about uh, your president of uh, Angler's Edge Mapping. Uh, talk a little bit about that company and how it all started. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm the president. My brother, Rob McDougall is the vice president. Um, we got started, I guess, in 2012. Um, we sort of, well, even before that, we realized that, uh, you know, the, the, the maps available for lakes and rivers in Manitoba and, and Northwest Ontario were pretty poor. And, and in some cases, downright yeah, they, dangerous. Craig, they sucked. 
they sucked yeah they, <laughs> they, they could get you in trouble like it happened to us like you know even lakes that we're familiar with we'd smoke rocks that we didn't know were there and yeah. you know some of that is you know our mistakes but some of that is the maps <laughs> they were bad yeah they would they would give you a false sense of security so um we realized that you know there was a there was a need for better maps and initially well essentially Lawrence released some tools um that allowed us to produce chips compatible with their units and we kind of jumped at that opportunity and and started um, charting waters on a sort of a large scale even even before the tools existed we were charting lakes for our own purposes and creating print maps um, but it was getting expensive like we were spending a lot of time and money uh, on on gas and that sort of thing so like we were trying to recoup our costs a bit and we decided well I guess we're gonna I guess we're gonna try this as a business um, and you know pretty quickly um, Brett Khaled from from Pro-Am approached us about retailing the maps and then the fishing hole and then Cabela's and it's kind of just taken off from there. So where do, if people want to get an angler's edge uh, map um, or chip, where, where do they find you, Craig? Uh, so yeah, our chips are, are sold at a variety of retailers in Manitoba and, and even you know, Kenora and, you know, throughout the States, actually, too, we've got Shields carrying our chips down in, in the United States, uh, Reeds uh, as well. But in, in Winnipeg, uh, Fish and Hole, Cabela's, Anchor Marine, Lake the Woods Sports Headquarters. Um, there's a there's places uh, in Raw, like Roblin, Patches, Bait and Tackle, um, Philoma Beach Marina. Um, you can order them off our website. Uh, what's your website address? Uh, it's www.anglersedgemapping.com. Okay. Yeah. And uh, also, is it mostly, I'm sorry, is it mostly Manitoba, Northwestern Ontario lakes? Yes, it is. Uh, as of right now, it's all uh, Manitoba or Northwest Ontario coverage. Yep. And you, but you got exciting news in the last magazine. You mentioned that now you can, you can get an app for your phone. Right. So yeah, that is a big news. So we partnered with a Canadian company called Avenza Maps um, and they're based in Toronto and actually they host about a million maps on their app, like from, from companies, developers, kind of like us all over the world. So they really got, you know, the mobile technology and, and the app figured out and, and our maps display very, very well. Uh, on your phone, on your tablet. Um, you don't need a GPS connect, or sorry, you don't need a data connection to view them. Um, you know, you just download them once and then they're on there. You can put them on five devices. Um, so it kind of, you know, future proofs you. If, you. if you buy a download, you know that you're gonna be able to use it going forward if you have to upgrade your phone even a couple times. Um, it's pretty slick. So yeah, we're really excited about that. Prior to this, you kind of needed, well, not kind of, you needed a lower ants to run our digital maps, but mm -hmm. now you don't. Yeah, well, that, that, that's big news. What does the future hold? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> we're, the one thing that you, if you know us, like 
you'll know that we're not business people. We kind of went into this, you know, this was a passion project and it's evolved into a business. Um, but, you know, everybody that's involved, you know, has another job. Um, but that being said, there's a lot of people involved now um, in terms of surveying and stuff. So we're making uh, more headway in terms of mapping, mapping local lakes than we ever have. Um, so there's going to be a time when we're done mapping Southern Manitoba and it's not going to be that far in the future. And once that happens, I'm not sure if we'll, if we'll, you know, continue expanding into say Saskatchewan or what, um, I don't want to, I don't want to make any promises. I don't, I don't really know what the future holds in that regard. How about from a, an aquatic biologist standpoint? Um, where we're at with this province right now, what, what are some of the things that uh, changes you would like to see the way we do business as far as fish management in this province? Well, I think that it's kind of a shame, um, you know, how little funding the government, the Manitoba Fisheries Branch has. Um, and, you know, like, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, there was a lot more people in fisheries branch and fisheries branch, you know, by association had a lot more capacity. And right now, you know, it just, it kind of feels like they're in a data limited uh, situation because they don't have the funding to collect the data. Um, and that, you know, that's not a recipe for long-term success, in my opinion. Um, I, I would like to see that changed. Um, more so on the, on the, not the, not the fisheries management side of things, but in terms of the, the resource and access to the resource, I would like to see, um, more emphasis and more funding going towards, you know, better boat launches, or at least having boat launches that exist maintained, um, you know, Lake Winnipeg, for example, there's a ton of, a ton of water, but it's, it's hard to access it and at times because of the location of the boat launches relative to, you know, the prevailing winds and that sort of thing. Like, um, I just, I wish there was better access points for, for people to fish Lake Winnipeg and, and, you know, better access for the Red River too. Um, I, I, I'm not sure how true this is, but I heard a rumor that cats on the red is no longer going to be able to uh, be used by anglers to launch their boats, and that's a that's kind of a crazy thing, given how popular the Red River is as a fishery. To only have um, you know Selkirk Park as as the, the primary launch, um, I don't think that's great. And I also get a little bit frustrated with the city of Winnipeg in the context of. Um, you know, the Maple Grove launch, it's a, it's a pretty good, you know, infrastructure, um, but it hasn't been, it hasn't been open for the past two years, at least maybe three. And I, I don't really understand why that is. Um, but, you know, we're talking about COVID times when people are trying to get outdoors and more people are buying boats than ever before. But in terms of local access, it's, it's pretty bad here in Winnipeg. 
Well, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I actually mentioned that in my free press column coming up. Uh, with the low water that we're scheduled to have around here that we have already, thank goodness we got some moisture here recently, but um, it's going to be really tough to launch a boat. Lake Manitoba is a prime example. My friend who fishes there all the time, Jim Price, the White Mud River, basically Sportsman's Park, there's no water in the White Mud right now, so there's not going to be any boat launching going on there. And he doesn't know where he's going to be able to access the lake um, until about the middle of June when maybe they dredge out the uh, channel at Delta Beach. So yes, we, we have a major, major issue with boat launches in this province. You go down the U.S. and all their, and their parks and launches, they have launches everywhere. There is cement with docks. Um, so yes, that is a major area of concern in this province. I totally agree with you, Craig. Yeah, it's, uh, well, hopefully something can be done. Okay, well, I, I just wanna say that it's been great having you on the show and uh, I really enjoyed our conversation, especially about smallmouth bass, because it, it really is important to, to, to provide people with informed uh, decision making when it comes to uh, managing resources and what you, you should consider doing and what you should consider keeping. So we really want to thank you for supplying all this great information, Craig. Oh, thank you very much for having me, Don. Uh, I really enjoyed the conversation as well. Okay, we will we'll look forward to um, your article upcoming in the next spring edition of Hooked on electronics and what you should consider using on your level of expertise. Thanks, Greg. Okay, thanks, son. Thanks for tuning in. Visit hookedmagazine.com to subscribe to The Complete Angler and never miss an episode.